1: The Rays Radio Network proudly presents this week in Rays baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips. He will score the tying run in the third goes. Rosa Arena, It's an 8-8 eight eight game and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him, line back up the middle, but
2: there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it
1: in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons.
3: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our latest show. Today, we sit down with reliever Ryan Thompson and discuss his return from thoracic outlet syndrome. Dave and Andy will discuss the week gone by. We'll visit with prospect Grant Witherspoon, who's had a terrific first month. Plus, visit with Clara Reynolds of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, as well as Blue Jays broadcaster Ben Wagner. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest is one of the big parts of the successful race bullpen so far this year, and that's Ryan Thompson. Ryan, we certainly appreciate a few minutes.
4: Thank you so much for having me on, Neil.
3: You have not only been successful, but you've come back from a major surgery, thoracic outlet syndrome. How good do you feel about the way you've come back and how quickly you've come back?
4: Yeah, it was quite the process, and it was definitely a a grind last year. I know Probably 90% plus of guys that have had this surgery will tell you the same thing. Like, it's a struggle just getting diagnosed, let alone getting the surgery and coming back and getting, you know, to be able to step foot in between the major league chalk lines again. So I'm, I just feel extremely blessed. You know, not that I ever took this for granted, but when you have an injury that gave you a lot of question marks, you know, there were times last year where I just I didn't know if I would ever pitch again, to be honest. So the fact that I'm able to to just pitch on the stage and to perform and to feel good about it, I, is, I just feel extremely blessed. And I'm very thankful to God. And I just want to make the most of every opportunity that I have.
3: Was it more of a relief to know what you had or a relief to be able to come back the way you have?
4: Both. I think getting a diagnosis was just a huge relief. There were a lot of different theories, and they all seem to just continuously fall through. So there's that just mental grind of saying, "When are we going to be able to figure this out? Who do I have to see?" The Rays and I both were very committed to doing whatever it took to figuring out what was going on. So just getting diagnosed last year was a was a huge relief. The unknown is just a a deep and dark place, especially when you're in rehab, because you know if you're Like, for me, I've been in rehab a couple times. I've had a Tommy John, and that's a tough time. But at the same time, you have a year away from the game where you can really take a step back and evaluate where you are in every facet of your life, whether it's mental, physical, emotional. You know, for me, I was, during my Tommy John, I was a little bit overweight. I wasn't the athlete that I wanted to be. My diet wasn't great. My sleep habits weren't great. There were a lot of things that I cleaned up during that time. I think if I didn't do that, I'm not sure if I would be a major league pitcher. So, you know, when I had this injury, I always tried to have that positive mindset where, okay, this is an opportunity for me to get better in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. But when it's in the that unknown territory, you're never quite in rehab. You're kind of in that middle ground where it's like, maybe if I just fix this small little thing, everything will click. So you never can shut off that potential that... You're going to be back in two weeks or if this is a career-ending injury you just don't know what route it's going to go so that that was the tough part about my injury but once i got diagnosed and i had the surgery i was finally able to just kind of get in that mindset of just like okay what do i got to do to get back to full strength and spring training or opening day and kind of build out a plan build out a strategy and just attack it full force
3: and it helps to have a strong support system, and you do here with the Rays, but you also have one at home that you were able to go see on this West Coast trip. What did it mean to you to go see mom and dad and pitch in front of them a couple
4: of times? Yeah, my, my support system is incredible. My parents have both been such a huge part of my journey as a human being, as a baseball player, all the above. I'm very close with my entire family, my extended family. So, you know, when I when I go out to Seattle, it's cool because... When I was a little kid, the Mariners was a big reason why I fell in love with the game. My dad would take me up once a year, and we would we would watch a whole series on a weekend, and we loved every part of it. We would get the score book, and we'd keep score the whole game, and try to get as many autographs as we could, and and it, it was just it's a great time. So back then it was called Safeco Field, now it's T-Mobile. But going back to that place always kind of gives me those uh, childhood emotions, and being able to share it with my families really great. And it's it's kind of cool. As Last year when we went to Seattle, it was Father's Day. This year we go to Seattle, it's Mother's Day. So I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's a coincidence or not, but it's really cool to be able to just share those moments with them. And talking about my injuries, I have great support system in that area as well that helped me through my rehab. Kent Morimatsu, he runs a Roke Performance Therapy in Portland, and he was able to come to a game in Seattle and I have uh, my agent, who is a, his name's Nick Lubisic. he's just incredible support system for me, and without those guys, I'm not sure I would be where I'm at right now, so I'm extremely thankful for them, and appreciative that they're able to come to a game, and be able to share those moments with them as well.
3: And, uh, you know, I mentioned your race family, obviously, has been really helpful too, And I think you've been helpful to that race family in a lot of ways. We're in the middle of Mental Health Awareness Month and I I think it's been so impressive how outspoken you've been and how supportive you've been of all the things that the race have been doing this month to recognize Gene and build awareness for mental health.
4: Yeah, I am I'm extremely passionate about mental health awareness, you know, especially with what's going on in our organization this year. You know, the Rays, I am just blown away with how well they have just spearheaded this this month and what it means and you know we wear those green ribbons on our jerseys every day and just being able to get the word out and I think that's spreading the awareness is so important I know I've I've talked about this a couple times but you know mental health awareness has that stigma that there's something wrong with you and that prevents people from feeling comfortable to talk about it it causes you to just kind of kind of shove it down inside and just go about your business, and I think that's when, you know, the mental health issues become very serious, and they can drag on, and it can hit you when you least expect it. So I just kind of want to be a, use this platform, I guess, to kind of continue what the Rays are doing, and just and just share that what's going on with you is, is okay, and it's normal. I think just breeding normalcy to Mental health awareness, and to breed, you know, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to admit that, you know, you you have thoughts and feelings. We all we all experience thoughts and feelings, and I think more than that, I think it, um, especially the stuff that um, our team has gone through with Gene's passing. You know, we've had a lot of intimate conversations, and it's brought our team very close having these conversations some of the conversations we talk about is we just always wonder if there's something more we could have done. You know, we, we never, we could have, we never would have known Jean was one of the most joyful human beings I've ever met. But at the same time, you know, it's, we, we have those thoughts and we have those, we say those words because of our trauma, but you know, there's something to be said about that too in mental health awareness month that it's, it's good to look internally and to introspect but at the same time, it's good to look outwardly and to let the people in your life know that you appreciate them, that you love them, and, you know, you never know what someone's gone through in their life, what they're going through right now, and sometimes just just an expression of love is really powerful. Reading, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Bible right now. I'm in Corinthians, and something that really jumped out to me lately was, you know, Paul, he... In essence, he's talking about how, you know, sometimes your, you know, your happiness is an emotion and that comes and goes, but your joy is a state of being, not an emotion, or it should be at least. And sometimes in our lives, like, that kind of spoke to me because, you know, especially in this country, we make our circumstances dictate our joy. Your circumstances can impact your happiness in, in certain ways, like, you know, you may want this or need that, and... And that fluctuates, but if your joy remains standstill, then you can find peace and comfort even in the hardest of times. And that's something I experienced in the off-season and going to Africa. What a powerful trip. These people, the place I went to is Malawi. It was It's the number one poorest country in the world. Go into these villages and we're just brought to tears immediately seeing the circumstances that these people live in yet the most powerful part is that majority of them are joyful they have smiles on their face they're happy and we look at that life having a surplus of what we need here in america we say wow these people's lives and they're that's that's miserable that's horrible and they're smiling and they're playing and they're having fun and and that's just another testament that your circumstances don't have to dictate your joy it just really helped me coming back to america just i don't even want to say to not take the little things for granted because that's just not even the case it's it's just seeing life through different lens seeing it with a different perspective that things or things money your all of your circumstances it's it doesn't mean anything. We, we say that it does, but does that make you happy? Does that change the outcome of your life internally? The things that truly matter? It doesn't. Um, so yeah, all, all those things are make Mental Health Awareness Month just really, really, really important.
3: You went to Malawi as part of what, the second milk program what led you to decide to do that and is this something you want to do annually now
4: so I learned I learned about Second Milk through Jalen Beeks his friend is the founder of Second Milk they're from the same hometown I've never had money in my entire life I before I made my debut I never had more than two thousand dollars in my bank account I was always recycling my the month of whatever it was the eight thousand dollars I'd make a year into my off-season training And so once I got to the big leagues, I was looking for opportunities to give. I just, I'd never looked into it before ever because I didn't have any money to give. And Jalen kind of brought up Second Milk. This is what they do. And Second Milk is a nonprofit that is mainly based out of Malawi, but pre-COVID, they were based out of a couple other countries, Kenya, Ghana. But what they do is it's tragic out there. A lot of these mothers, they're so malnourished that they pass away giving birth, and so these newborn babies, they have literally no chance of survival. So, what Second Milk does is they target these newborn babies and they provide a second form of milk. So they produce formula and um, mass produce it, and um, or they buy it actually, and they bring the formula to these babies and they launch this program where they look after them. They um, they like measure their, their arms and legs to make sure that they're taking in the nutrients and making sure they're healthy. They are giving porridge to the families, making sure the families are, are fed as well. Kind of beyond that, they've built these piggeries and chicken houses to where they can kind of just stimulate a little bit of an economy in those villages that have no source of income. Um, when I was there, it was it was crazy to, to just see the commitment. Of these people to do whatever it took just to make it to the next day. You know sometimes they would have to walk barefoot for six miles just to get enough water to survive and so Second Milk is trying to really I mean it's a long process but they're really trying to change the entire economy of the country and that starts with digging wells so you know they can have easier access to water, and have easier access to food, and that they can sell some of these, um, some of the eggs from the chickens, and really make it to where they don't, they aren't born into poverty, and they're going to die into poverty with no potential of escape. I was immediately interested, and what I ended up doing was I sponsored these twins that were found. Jason, he's the founder, Jason Carney, He, he called me and said, hey, I know you're you were looking into helping out. We just found these twins. Would you be interested in sponsoring them? And I said, absolutely. Um, Their names are Tadala and Tulandila. They're these gorgeous, gorgeous little girls. I started sponsoring them and that was about a year and a half, closer to two years ago. I just, I always wanted to meet them and I always wanted to go experience Malawi. So I really just knew the whole picture of what I'm involved in and wanted to help out in any way that I could. The opportunity came for me to go, and I went, and I brought my dad, and it was it was kind of a guy's trip, and we had the best time. Like, it was the best group of guys. It was, um, I think there was eight of us, and <laughs> it's crazy how you get, you know, eight alpha males together, and you put them in that situation, and we're all sharing stories and bawling, <laughs> crying around the fire every night. It was extremely powerful.
3: Heartwarming to see what you're doing on and off the field. We wish you continued success, and we so appreciate your time on This Week in Rays Baseball. Thank you, Neil. Ryan Thompson with us. We'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solans now joined by Dave and Andy. Good afternoon guys. How are you?
2: What's happening? How are you?
3: Good. Uh, One month in and change. Give us uh, your take on uh, what you've seen to this point from this Rays team.
2: I'm kind of happy with where they are to be perfectly honest. I mean, the, The Yankees are the scorching hot team in the division but the Rays are right there at four and a half back and I don't think the Rays have played nearly to their capability yet. I mean we know what the injuries to Patino and Boz, among others, have done. But I've been a little disappointed with the way the team has hit. They've gone into prolonged slumps. Randy really hasn't uh, done it on a consistent basis yet. Thankfully, they've been carried early by Wander and G. Monchoy and lately by Manuel Margot. But I don't know about you, Dave, I I like to think this team can hit a little bit better. I I just don't think even defensively they've been at their best yet. I tend to think, without this sounding like pie in the sky, the best is still yet to come for this team.
1: I would hope so. I mean, uh, you know, there's no guarantees to that. I think we're all sitting around waiting for this offense to get into a little bit more of a rhythm from top to bottom. I think we, you know, you look at the uh, the offensive numbers, and you see, especially given, you know, again, today's lineup, you look at the lower third, Bruhan has one hit. You have Phillips hitting a buck 50, and then you have Taylor Walls hitting 188. I mean, I think... You know, one of the th- reasons why the the Rays' offense was so good last year is we avoided some black holes within the lineup. Uh, we did not have those three and four spots in the lineup that uh, would be tough to kind of get a hit out of. So hopefully, that starts to kick in here sooner rather than later. We're still waiting on a number of guys, though, to get going, especially the regulars. I mean, it's you know I'm not, I can't say anything about Bruhan Phillips and Walls because they're not supposed to be everyday players, but you know we still need KK to get a little more consistent. We need a Rosarena to be a lot more consistent. We need Zanino to start to be a little more consistent. The list goes on, and I think you know one of the reasons why that the, the Rays have struggled a little bit at times offensively is because we haven't been able to get more than two or three guys hot at the same time. Very rarely have we had two or three guys hot at the same time. And as far as the pitching is concerned, uh, you know, nothing that, uh, again, a couple of additions maybe during the month of June won't help. Uh, hopefully guys keep trending in the right direction on the uh, injured in, injury front But uh, overall, I I would have to say that pleased, somewhat pleased with where they're at, given that they have not hit as well, pitched as well, and definitely haven't caught the ball as well. I might be a tough grader, but uh, I still think there's room for improvement on this team in almost all aspects of the game.
3: I think that's fair, and more so maybe because of the fact, I think I'm more surprised about how well they've pitched, considering... They really haven't had Ryan Yarbrough stretched out. They haven't had Boz. They haven't had Patino. They've missed Chagua, Fairbanks, and on and on. They really haven't had their pitching staff hold.
2: I've been pretty impressed with the fact that the bullpen has done what it's done this year. I mean, uh, Jason Adams has been a terrific addition to that group. Uh, And Springs, who they move into the rotation. I mean, he's been fantastic. I almost like him better against righties than against lefties. But it's not the same bullpen day that
1: we've had for the last couple of years, but they do seem to complement each other very, very well. Uh, you know, again, feel very confident when the uh, the bullpen comes into the game. Yesterday, you know, it, it's it's like you said in the post game a little bit, Neil. I mean, when your start only goes into the fourth inning, you have to start to uh, utilize six and seven guys sometimes out of the bullpen. And sooner or later, one of those guys just might not have a good day. And yesterday it was Ryan Thompson who... Had a little bit of a tough day, but you know, again, the job by Fire Eyes and the jobs that, that he's done lately. And uh, Rayleigh had that little hiccup a couple of days ago, but he had been so good. Beeksy's been pretty darn good. I mean, yesterday, we had a you know again a real good appearance from uh, uh, Colin Pochet and and Jason Adam, as you said, has been absolutely outstanding. So the bullpen is not one of my concerns right now. I, again, what I'd love to see uh, a few more additions and maybe a little more velocity and get some more swing and miss. I think if there if you want to talk about a little concern. Right now it's with Kit, just not getting as much swing and miss as he had for the most part last year. Kind of went away toward the end of the season. And that, you know, is something you need out of a late bullpen guy because, you you know, leadoff base hits or leadoff walks then have a tendency to score if you don't get the strikeout. But, uh, you know, the, the pitching staff is holding its own. Considering that, uh, you know, again, like the, the, the math sometimes just doesn't add up. How do you use 25 pitchers in, in about a month and still be only four or five games out of first place and five or six games over 500? Uh, so the, this team, you know, again, just wills its way to figure out how to win a game. And uh, today's going to be a tough task with Alec Manoa. On the mound, we're going to need Jeffrey Springs to be really, really good. And uh, you know, this was <laughs> reminds me a little bit of what <laughs> my buddy Bill Melton used to say when he first came up. Where you know, Joel Horland and Tommy John, those guys were pitching for the White Sox. They'd walk by him and go, "Don't give up a run. You're going to ruin your chance at a tie."
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, we got a couple of minutes in the segment. Um, biggest concern going forward for you guys would be
1: what? It's always health. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think that uh, you know we're such a, we're, we're still a young, fragile team, and. I think we're finding out that we don't quite have as much depth at AAA Durham as I think we have had in the past. And, uh, you know, some of the guys, the layers of that depth are already here when you look at Walls and Bruhan, And, you know, uh, Josh Lowe did not uh, work out the first trip, but uh, now I see he's swinging the bat really, really well down at AAA. But uh, we need to get – those reinforcements in here to, you know, if you start to get a Boz back and a Patino back, a JT Chagua back, and you start to get maybe into August and you get, uh, you know, Nick Anderson and Pete Fairbanks back, that will then provide the depth and put some guys that have been doing a decent job here, maybe back down in, in AAA Durham, and it provides the depth that we're lacking right now. But uh, for me, it's all about health. We got to get healthy, and we got to get some consistency back to the offense because, uh, you know, I think our, our pitching is going to be good enough to hold its own but uh, we're going to need to get that offense back to where we can win some games, six to four and seven to five, and not always have to try and win a game four to two or three to one. I think the good news is, in terms of the uh, the pitching, you know, Kluber, I, I didn't know what to expect coming
2: in, but he has been as good as I could have hoped. Rasmussen seems to have taken the next step, and boy, McClanahan really has. I mean, he has been ace worthy uh, in this rotation, and, and that really stands out and stood out to me on Wednesday afternoon. In Anaheim facing Otani the day after the no-hitter, which was the day after you gotten blown out also. So the Rays really needed a big outing, and they got it from him. So that, that makes you feel good. But I think overall I'd like to see the offense start to score a few more runs so you don't have to always win it 4-3 or
3: 2-1. Well said, guys. Have a good call today. Appreciate you uh,
1: doing my job. <laughs> well, you'll help us do ours this week against the tigers right? there was a reason why i took a shower and it was to be on this show so thanks <laughs> <laughs> that's He'll david andy you. the
3: call today 140 rays and jays now time to take a look at things on the minor league side joining us is someone who's off to a terrific start in the outfield that's with AA montgomery and his name is grant witherspoon grant thanks very much for being with us
6: yeah, thanks for having me on.
3: You were recently named the Southern League Player of the Week, but I think it's more than that the reason we're having you on. What What are the reasons you think for your terrific start so far this year?
6: I'm not too sure. I, I just definitely came into this season and this whole offseason, I definitely knew that I had a lot of work to do and uh, worked pretty hard and prepared well, and I think it's good to see some of that paying off.
3: What may have been different about your preparation this offseason? What did you change, if anything, and where did you – put the work in
6: I just with my swing and uh, hit the gym hard as always and I think that um, I ended up the year um, last year pretty well and I just wanted to kind of continue that kind of got into spring training and it's, it's tough to uh, get like start right where you left off but then I feel like once once I got my feet under me this season uh, it's been good I can't really point to one specific thing though it's just just kind of uh, been going well.
3: Well, let's get to your training physically. Did you add some weight? Do you think you're more flexible? Where are the things where you like put an emphasis on this offseason? and how different may you be, let's say, from the end of last year to the beginning of this year?
6: Uh, I would say just when I'm when I'm training, I'm trying to move weight fast. I I don't really try to like max out um, weight or anything, but I'm probably about the same weight, but I feel like I'm just a little um, a little more muscular, uh, maybe lost some body fat percentage, and but uh, just really just the fun just feels really good right now.
3: You know, I think you've always been known as a really good defender with obviously pop and some speed too. I mean, you've been a double-digit home run guy, a double-digit stolen base guy over the years. What were the changes you made last year during your swing or with your swing that you saw, let's say, those results at the end of the year? How did it kind of evolve?
6: I had kind of had a year where I was struggling in the first half. I was fouling a lot of pitches off. So I just tried to like simplify everything because... With a hitting coach last year was Brady North, who he knows in the big leagues now. So um, he obviously knows what he's talking about. So he helped me a lot with just, he showed me all the percentages, like you're fouling fastballs off that you should be doing damage on. And I feel like I have a swing to where I don't need to be like swinging super, super hard. And so I feel like sometimes less is better. Just try not to miss my pitches. And because if I put a good uh, barrel on it, it's it's going to be hit hard.
3: So, so far this year, the results are really good, as I mentioned. Would you say you're getting to the fastball a little bit better?
6: Yeah, a little bit better. Always a work in progress, but um, I feel like this year, I'm just staying within my zone a little bit better. I wanted to chase less and uh, miss less pitches, obviously. Everyone wants to do that, but. (laughs) I feel like this year uh, I'm doing a pretty good job of it so far. But like I said, it's a long season. So like last year I started bad and, and ended really well. So I think that part of maturing is knowing that like, no matter how you're doing, you got to come to the field the same way. So, I mean, it's just like one day at a time. I feel like that is what um, helps me be more consistent with it.
3: You mentioned, you know, simplifying things. Were there things that you eliminated? I obviously... Myself, fans are probably not familiar with your setup and your swing. Did you have a toe right. tap or a leg kick? What are the things that, let's say, you reduce that may allow you to be more consistent?
6: Yeah, I'm, I got rid of the leg kick. I guess um, I stand super tall, kind of similar to um, similar to Bellinger almost, and similar to Curtis Mead probably. Um, we're both kind of standing super tall, and then I feel like when I was standing really tall and and trying to kill the ball. I would leg kick a lot. So I'm trying to just kind of glide and be super like super smooth and start almost so early that that I'm like waiting on the pitch and not trying to like rush anything. For me smoother is better.
3: And is the offense really the area that you want to see take off this year because I mentioned you do have a rep for being a very very good defender and for having the ability to steal some bases and do some things there too.
6: Yeah, I mean, I feel like everyone Uh, you you want to hit. Um, Everyone wants to hit. I feel like that's what's going to get you to the big leagues the fastest, but um, I'd always do take pride in my defense. And I feel like I can play all three outfield positions. So um, as far as defense goes, I feel like my defense um, will be there. It's just, I worked on my arm a lot. So I've actually been playing a lot of right field this year. It's kind of new for me, but uh, arms been feeling good. But yeah, I feel like hitting as much as no one want, like anyone doesn't want to say like hitting is like the key, I feel like, to staying um getting the big leagues and staying there.
3: And you know how much the race value defense. You've been what primarily a center fielder before playing more right this year? What's been the biggest adjustment with that?
6: Yeah, last year I played a lot of center field, but we, we kind of go on a rotation and this year it's been more a little more right field. It's just like it's a little harder to it's a little easier to see the ball in center field, a little more cut ground to cover, but I think the biggest adjustment in right field has been I've been trying to cut down doubles a lot. So like the, the ball my left that is down the line, I've really emphasized trying to cut it off and, and keep them on first base that's huge for, for the pitchers who's throwing. If if a guy's um, busting it to get that those balls, cut them off, then I feel like they really appreciate that. And um, Obviously, the Rays um, have been noticing I've been doing that. So... Um, that's the biggest thing in right field, and I actually really like right field. Now I, I can say I've I've played all three um, coming up in the minor leagues, and um, they everyone they always tell everyone that it doesn't matter what what position you play when you go up. You want to be able to play any of the three, so I feel comfortable in all three.
3: How comfortable do you feel with this group? You know, I look at the roster, and I, I tend to believe that this has more of the prospects. On the double A team, and maybe a little more high end talent than any of the four rosters in the race system.
6: Yeah. I mean, we going to last year, we had a lot of the same guys and we kind of got on some big win streaks. And um, I feel like the talent, a lot of talent around uh, in our locker room. And Morgan, Morgan Ensberg, he he tells us a lot that we're going to be really good, but he definitely knows that. So he definitely is pushing us hard, which I feel like we need. Yeah. I mean, looking around, you got all guys that can swing it, guys that can defend it pretty crazy the the amount of talent that we have on this team
3: yeah you obviously are off to a very good start as mentioned we're chatting with Grant Witherspoon most of the headlines probably go to Taj Bradley on the mound Curtis Mead Greg Jones in terms of the big name guys who's someone who since you're with them on a daily basis and have been with this group for about a month that maybe doesn't get the headlines that you think is really good that people should start noticing too
6: honestly um brett wisely is really impressive jordan kazar uh he's my roommate he's uh really impressive always Austin shenton really good hitter i mean those three guys i mean i could name a bunch of other guys but i mean just playing with those guys you kind of see that maybe not they're they're not the biggest prospects as are am i very very good players with with high ceilings, I feel like.
3: And you still, again, you were a fourth round pick of the Rays originally, but since you are a little under the radar, is there a little bit of a chip that you carry or is there anything particular that drives you, motivates you?
6: To be honest, yeah, there is a little bit of a chip because I I feel like sometimes I tell myself that I feel, or it's hard to not tell yourself that if you're in another organization, you may be like a bigger deal. But I guess that that's kind of what drove me like this off season was like, like what I've been doing has not been enough, you know. So like I need to do more because I need to like stand out if I'm gonna if this is gonna be my life that I'm gonna make it up. Like like what I was doing was not enough. So I guess that really drove me and it drives me every day, honestly.
3: And you know, this is a uh, mental health awareness month, so I was kind of curious because the mental game is so important in baseball. Is there anyone in the race organization who's been especially helpful? Because it seems like you're in a really good place.
6: Yeah, definitely. Um, Chris Goodman. He is the best mental mental strength coach, or I don't know if it's a mental strength coach, but mental uh, skills coach I've ever had. Um, I've opened up to him more than I had so many guys opening up to him and every game actually he sent this is more on the field, but he's there for us off the field. So that really helps. But like every game, uh, he sent he sent me an audio recording where he goes through a visualiz- visualization process of him just talking about feeling yourself in the box, seeing the ball, um, imagining what's going to happen. And so I have the recording saved on my phone and I just like uh, close my eyes and listen to it before the game. So that has been really cool, and I feel like the Rays with this mental um, health awareness stuff are, are always there for us.
3: Well, it's great to hear that you're in such a good place and productive, and hopefully that continues for a long time to come. We wish you a very successful rest of the season, and congrats on what you've done to this point.
6: Awesome. Thank you, Neil.
3: And that's Grant Witherspoon, the outfielder, hitting 340 so far this year with AA Montgomery and a nine fifty-one OPS. And again, he was named the Southern League Player of the Week. Coming up, Clara Reynolds of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay on what the Rays are doing during this May, that is Mental Health Awareness Month. And also we'll chat with Ben Wagner from the Toronto Blue Jays Radio Network. You are listening to This Week in Rays Baseball, and this is the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and here in the month of May, we are focusing on mental health awareness during this Mental Health Awareness Month, and we have the privilege of having the President and CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay with us, and Clara Reynolds. Clara, thanks so much for being with us. Neil, it's an honor to be with you today. Tell me what it's meant to see what the Rays have done as an organization to bring attention, especially after Gene Ramirez's passing, to mental health awareness.
5: I think it has been instrumental in helping the community to have a conversation about behavioral health in a way that probably would not have happened without the Rays being involved. You know, certainly for all of us in the mental health, behavioral health arena, we try hard to touch and reach all different audiences. But we know that there's a limitation to who is listening to our message. We truly, I truly believe that because the Rays have really embraced this And have not shied away from using the word suicide and have not shied away from mental health, that has gone a long way in helping our community have a a real conversation about suicide. What is it? And every time we have a conversation, we are reducing the stigma that is associated with behavioral health. And that's the stigma that keeps people from reaching out for help when they need it. All of that being said, I believe that what the Rays have done has provided an avenue that if somebody is struggling or if it's a loved one of somebody who is involved in the raise, who is struggling, they now feel more comfortable starting a conversation and more importantly, know where to go when somebody is in need of help and support.
3: Jim Ramirez is dying by suicide, has obviously opened the conversation even further. But this really started with Brandon Lau with his Home Runs for Hope program, which is very personal to him, as he acknowledged a couple of weeks ago, with he losing his uncle to suicide
5: and to see what Brandon and and his wife Madison have done in this space you know, really was the starting point, I think, for the RAISE organization to be ready to have this discussion. Home Runs for Hope is a wonderful uh, mechanism by which, you know, certainly, you know, there's funds, obviously, that come to the crisis center of Tampa Bay that are desperately needed because the need is greater now more than ever. But again, it goes back to being able to have that conversation and being able to, you know, showcase that there's an organization available, you know, that will meet this need, you You know, I look at what sports franchises, particularly the Rays, have done, you know, around the military, around hunger issues, you know, even around pets, you know. And so for them to embrace this very important national epidemic, which is what suicide is, really putting a face on it, putting a name to it, I think is, again, one of the best things that could have happened and a wonderful conversation starter, again, at the ballpark. At homes, you know, on the radio, in cars, all of those things are creating this opportunity for a dialogue. And I, Neil, I can't stress how important it is for those dialogues to happen before somebody is in crisis. How bad is the problem right now? Oh, my goodness. Uh, You know, for us at the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, we answer the National Suicide Prevention Hotline for Hillsborough County. And we know we have seen, you know, the numbers of calls per day go from 10 today day up to 15 to 20 a day. So that's a significant number. We also know that our behavioral health units are seeing an increase. We know the number of 911 calls right now uh, that are made for behavioral health can sometimes top 50 to 60%. That means 50 to 60% of the time somebody's calling 911, they're calling because they're in a behavioral health crisis. That has truly increased dramatically since the start of the pandemic. The pandemic, obviously, it was a a heavy physical toll that it took on individuals, but that behavioral health toll has continued. So even though we have vaccines and we've got mitigation types of things for the physical illness, that behavioral health implication, that behavioral health impact uh, has continued, and I believe will continue moving forward, particularly with our youth and our young adults.
3: You mentioned the strength of the race for all this, but I'm curious also your take on the strength of the Ramirez family to be as open and helpful as they have been in supporting local causes back in Texas, but also here with the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay.
5: You know, I had an opportunity to meet with the, uh, to meet virtually with Mrs. Ramirez, you know, from Hawaii. So we're doing a Zoom call. It was five in the morning, her time. And, you know, her faith, and her passion and her true commitment to this movement, I think is what has catapulted the the work that the Rays are doing because they've got this beautiful champion who doesn't shy away from it either. You know, she talks about how difficult this is for her. She talks about that she is walking with her faith to get her to the other side and is so open. And, you know, I had, again, the honor and privilege to see her and Mr. Ramirez in action when they had a did a presentation for the Rays Minor League, at, but as well as for the Major League Clubhouse. And to see these grown adults, you know, um, to just kind of, crumble and just cry and just be able to talk about how Gene's death impacted them. And when we think about the age group of these players, many of these players are experiencing this for the very first time. It's the first time away from home. They may not have ever been in this space. And so to be able to learn about it in such a way, I think has had a profound impact on those players that I think is going to last generationally. And I also want to say the other thing that I think the Ramirez's have done is that they have created a movement that I believe is going to run throughout Major League Baseball. And I think when we get to that kind of scale, we're really going to see a community-wide and nationwide awareness and understanding of behavioral health and the impact of suicide.
3: Well, this past week, we saw the Angels join the race and wearing all we're wearing green ribbons on their jerseys and the rays obviously still have the 98 on their helmets throughout the course of the month. How much does that help just as a conversation starter? When people see it, don't know what it is and then ask the question.
5: Oh, it's a beautiful conversation starter because we see ribbons are for all sorts of things. So it's natural. I think it's just a natural portion to say, "Oh, you know, I see your blue ribbon, I see your yellow ribbon. What's this green ribbon?" Oh, let me tell you, this is Mental Health Awareness Month. You know, did you know people are that struggle with, you know, depression and anxiety that has increased? But what's incredible is that there's resources available and here they are. Um, again, it's, it starts to reduce that stigma, particularly for our younger you know, audiences who are struggling and are much more open to having these conversations about their struggle and again, it's really validating. You know, the thing with, with behavioral health, Neil, is that so many people believe that they're the only ones that are experiencing it, that they that they have to suffer in silence because nobody's going to understand. And by seeing a raised player, a hero that many people see, you know, our raised, our baseball players as their heroes, to see their heroes openly talk about it. I think it sets a beautiful example and a wonderful message in our community that there's nothing to be ashamed of, that if you're struggling, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be struggling with issues like depression and anxiety. What's not okay is not reaching out for help when you need it.
3: So I'm wearing the the wristband that the Ramirez family gave out, which is suffering in silence is not okay. And obviously that's a big part of the message that they are trying to get out. But I guess if we've got a family member or a friend of somebody listening right now, and isn't sure if someone is struggling or not struggling, how do they broach the topic? How do they
5: start the conversation? How do they help? Yeah. And those are fabulous questions. And so many people call us going, what do I do? And I think that's oftentimes why people don't ask the question. First of all, I would say, if you've got a niggling feeling in your belly, that something's not right with somebody that you know, well, that you love, the most important thing you can do is just ask them the question, Neil, I noticed that you are, you're just not yourself. I noticed that you're not engaging in things that you used to enjoy. How are you? And, Neil, I will tell you, nine times out of 10, most people will say, I'm fine. And that's when you have to push back and say, you know what? I know you. I love you. This is not what fine looks like for you. Please tell me what's going on. And then just kind of being quiet, give the individual the space and the opportunity to collect their thoughts and then just let them be heard. You know, so often in this day and age, when we have conversations with one another, we're either trying to one up them. Or we're trying to solve the problem before they've even gotten the problem out of their mouth. And when somebody is struggling with behavioral health issues, they just need the opportunity to be heard. So you don't have to really do anything but sit with them in that moment. But always make sure that you got your phone ready, because if they start talking about suicide, if they start talking about a plan, that's when you want to reach out with them and reach out for help. And you can do that by calling 211 or the National Suicide Prevention Helpline, that 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255, because then together, you can be on the phone with a professional 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's going to help your friend, your loved one, get connected to the resources that they need.
3: Clara Reynolds of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, thanks so much for being with us, and for your time on such an important topic.
5: Thank you, Neil, so much, and again, huge thanks to the Rays, the Rays Foundation, to Brandon and Madison Lau, and of course, the Ramirez family.
3: And that's Clara Reynolds of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. You can still participate in the raise auction to benefit the Crisis Center. You can go to RaysBaseball.com slash auction, and that event runs online through the 18th of this month. We turn our attention back to the field as the Rays get set to wrap up their series with the Jays on this Sunday. Joining us now, Ben Wagner of the Blue Jays Radio Network. Ben, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Tell me, Ben, you know, I look at the Rays and Jays similarly. They both have had their fair share of injuries. They both haven't quite found their stride, but they're keeping their heads above water. Pretty accurate assessment of the Blue Jays from afar? Well,
0: very accurate because they haven't had a significant portion of the time without Teoscar Hernandez in the lineup, and that's a Silver Slugger Award winner, a guy that you expect to be batting fourth each and every day. And the bigger body of work that Danny Jansen has put together, bridging last season over the final couple of months, through a very strong spring training, and then at the start of this year, that was a bigger blow I think than people were realizing that one, a bat that could flip the lineup over, he was probably gonna bat seventh, eighth, or ninth, depending on how Charlie Montoyo made out the lineup and the matchups and the projections, but also the handling of the pitching staff. And you cannot discount what Danny Jansen behind the plate, his ability to work with Jin Ryu, who just came off the injured list, that sequencing early in the season where If he's not there, there is a definite downfall. And it's not to take anything away from the guys that are, you know, lumped in there, but there's a significant decrease without Danny Jansen behind the plate. So this is something the Blue Jays look to build on, getting him behind the dish. And let's be honest, the Rays have faced, very very difficult opponents the blue Jays have faced very very difficult opponents if you look at the 32 games prior to going into this weekend series between our two clubs neil 16 of those games were played between the new york yankees and the boston red sox the other 16 while spent out of the division opened up with a texas ranger club that had a ton of high expectations when the blue jays faced the oakland athletics they were playing pretty good baseball at the time before their injury bug popped up plus then back-to-back series within 10 days against the Houston Astros and that's when the switch really got flipped for Houston too that was in the head to head in Texas and then that next weekend coming to Toronto so it's been a lot of really difficult scheduling scenarios for the Blue Jays but also the pitching staffs have really kept the Blue Jays bats quiet I think that's overall the large reason that the Blue Jays haven't been successful so to even have a chance to foot around that 500 mark playing 30 games in the first 31 days of the regular season that was going to be a challenge in its own right you knew the teams are going to be tough I think the Blue Jays if they really take a step back and take away the pressure-packed situations of what the first month of the season is and said hey you're going to get out of this 500 I think Organizationally, they would be pretty pleased with that.
3: Well, the Rays were 19 and 19 last year and won 100 games. So I wouldn't be surprised if any team in this division ends up in that position. That said, what has you most worried after the first, let's say, five, six weeks of the year for, from a Toronto standpoint?
0: Well, Junjin Ryu who's not going to move to the bullpen. He's going to be in the starting rotation. If he's healthy, he's going to lobby to be in that rotation. But can the Blue Jays survive if it's going to be five and dive every time out with Yunjin Ryu? And also, Jose Barrios has not been Jose Barrios. It's been like as he's searching for his curveball sometimes. He's searching for a fastball command sometimes. And both have been very elusive. And that was supposed to be one of the big three with, with Jose Barrios. So without that consistency and the way that the Blue Jays want to go into this next month around the off days, utilizing Kevin Gosman, Alec Manoa, and then Jose Barrios as the primary rotation starters. Those obviously are the big concerns for the Blue Jays. I feel that this organization is not going to hit a panic button. They're going to be okay with some of the inconsistencies offensively because you know Bo Bichette has the ability to hit 300. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. might hit 50 home runs by the time this thing is all said and done. And oh, by the way, he might hit 330 while doing so. And to Oscar Hernandez, his bat will heat up. So offensively, while there's a lot of panic right now with the Blue Jays because they have not come out of the gate firing on all cylinders offensively. And there's some glaring statistics that say, you know, you're underperforming like runners in scoring position. Those are major concerns, but they're not the long haul concerns. Pitching, pitching is going to be the big concern for the Blue Jays.
3: You brought up starting pitching and Ryu. Residually, does that impact the bullpen? Because they've had to use Romano and several others a lot more than I would think that Charlie Montoya would like.
0: And look at the scenarios where you've got to dip into this bullpen, Right. Jordan Romano is one of the few guys in there that is swing and miss stuff. The rest of the guys in that bullpen, race fans, and you are all too familiar with Trevor Richards, right? Blue Jays now have Adam Simber. Tim Meza, if he's happy with the slider, can create swing and miss stuff, usually lefty on lefty. But against right-handed batters, you know, he induces a lot of contact. He wants to pitch to contact within three or four pitches. So he's available with a shorter turnaround or can give the Blue Jays an up-down in that. In that kind of parameter. So that is a big ask of the Blue Jays bullpen and they have been used way too much right now. But now the the kind of the calling card is okay starting pitching isn't getting deep into a ball game and it's not only been Jen Ryu. I mean Jose Barrios has been inconsistent. Uh, Ross Stripling is a two time through the order guy at the max. In most cases, and he was the guy that was jumping into the rotation for reuse. For so you're already asking a lot of innings to be covered because of injuries with this bullpen, let alone the high-leverage situation that the Blue Jays have been cast into with so many tight ball games, decided by two runs or less, the one-run ball games, 16 of them, you know, as we sit here and we chat. And the Blue Jays had a lot of success, but those are high-leverage situations for a ball club that gives up a lot of contact. For guys that are asked to pitch in these high-leverage situations, that is a big concern for the Blue Jays.
3: And great stuff. A lot of battles between these two clubs to come. Look forward to them, and we appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball.
0: We are going to get very familiar with the Blue Jays and the Rays down the stretch. I'm looking forward to it, Neil.
3: Indeed we are. That is Ben Wagner of the Blue Jays Radio Network, and we certainly thank him and all of our guests on the program today, hey, a reminder that the little Rays fans in your life can be part of the action, too, with the Rays Rookies Kids Club, presented by Hi-Chu. You can sign up today, and they'll receive a backpack, a hat, 50% off tickets to select home games, and much more. Memberships are limited. Go to RaysBaseball.com slash Rays Rookies. Again, we thank Ben Wagner of the Blue Jays Radio Network, our featured guest today, Ryan Thompson, Dave and Andy, for coming on the program, as well as prospect Grant Witherspoon, and of course, Clara reynolds of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me. You can do that at Neil Solons, or it could be easier to do so at Rays Radio as well. On next week's program, you'll hear from J.P. Fireisen, plus a whole lot more. Special thanks to my producer, Derek DuBose, for a job well done. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. Getting set for the Rays and Jays, the pregame show next on the Rays Baseball Network.
1: Thank you for listening to this week in Rays Baseball.
2: Breaking ball, lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. On and the Rays
1: jumping from one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one two pitch, swing and a miss. Hey, him out. Keep it right here, the Rays pregame show is next.